Hello, and welcome to another episode of Arena On Air. I'm your host, Brian DeMeo, and on this episode, I am joined by Arena Stage Publications Coordinator, Kate Thompson. Anne chronicles the feisty and unadulterated life of the legendary Texas governor, Anne Richards. We welcome Jane Atkinson, who you may know from a few little shows like House of Cards and Criminal Minds, and director Kristen Vangenhoven, who is the artistic director at Wham Theater in the Berkshires. They were both amazing, and frankly, they've been amazing since the first day of rehearsal. They're such an awesome team, and we simply adore them here. Kate, you saw the show on opening night. What did you think? After seeing Anne the other night, I became aware of my power. Not only my power as a woman, but perhaps even more importantly, my power as an individual, someone who cares really deeply about the success and the happiness of everyone around me. Having Anne kick off our 70th anniversary season is kind of perfect. Anne Richards was an icon for and example of a strong woman leading in government. It wasn't until 1976, when Ann Richards was in her 40s, that she ran for a political office. She was elected into the Travis County Commissioner's Office, and the rest is history. She could get a president on the phone with a snap of a finger and has been a role model for generations of women in politics. All that is to say, when someone asks me how my week is going, I can now say it's going great thanks to seeing Ann. We hope you enjoy this episode of Arena On Air with Ann director Kristen Vangenhoven and Jane Atkinson. I'm uh, Kristen Vangenhoven. I am the producing artistic director of Wham Theater in the beautiful Berkshires of Western Massachusetts, and I am the director of Anne here at Arena Stage. And my favorite color at the moment, I would say, is still red. Hi, my name is Jane Atkinson, and I am the producing director of my family, the Atkinson-Gill family, <laughs> of which we have produced one fabulous son, Jeremy, and I'm married to the wonderful actor Michael Gill, and I have the honor of being directed by Kristen Benjenhoven of Wham Theater and playing the inimitable maverick of a woman, Anne Richards. And what's your favorite color? And my color? favorite color, <laughs> and my favorite color is sun-kissed Provencal yellow. All right, so you have been in D.C. for uh, just about a month now, from rehearsals through opening night and continuing into the the full run of Anne. What has been one of your favorite experiences, um, or yeah, your favorite experience so far? The rooftop pool. People love the pool. Yeah, just but having time up there, and we would have the morning before we would come to rehearsal or after rehearsal or late at night, being able to go and take a reflection time up there, and you can see the National Monument and the Congress from up there. And so, you know, and it really has this expansive view that just felt like it served where we were in our heads and in our hearts and in our souls while we were doing the play. So it was very restorative to to have that and to and to share it with the designers and Jane and the other people who were here. I would have to say that's true and not to I think my uh, exploration and adventure in Washington will begin now that the play has opened because honestly for me my trajectory was waking up going to the theater 
leaving the theater, going back to the apartment, and then in the mornings I go to the pool, and in the evenings I might go to the pool. And um, so I'm in complete agreement with so far this has... The, that arena has given an actor such a beautiful honestly I know this sounds funny but uh, a beautiful apartment and a beautiful place to be still and to work um, is such a, is such a gift when my son came into the apartment he could not believe the beauty of it he said mom you don't need this I said oh yes I do <laughs> and he said no you mean you, you other people I said honey I've been in the theater for 40 years I deserve this apartment. <laughs> so it, it really... It, and it's very helpful it for really both is, of us yeah. that we have light and a really beautiful place to live. And water and a beautiful and, view. Yeah, for, for both you and I, and I'm, most human beings, I think that helps us do better when we feel good where we are. I wish that for everyone. Uh, another wonderful memory for me is, although same as Jane, my headspace has been really around this play, um, but I did have the opportunity to go to the Hirshhorn and see the Manifesto exhibit, and that was really extraordinary. Um, that had been recommended to me by a young woman who used to work with me who now lives here. And um, I also went to the National Portrait Gallery with that same young woman and saw the exhibits that are there and the portraits that are there. So, And then today I went to the National Museum of African American History and was completely blown away. It's fantastic, really the best museum I've a, ever been to. I have a lot to look forward to. Yes, yes. Yeah, and hopefully we'll see more as we spend more time in D.C. in the future. <laughs> I will say my family and I had a very special experience yesterday morning because at, at the opening night, um, Congressman Pingree from Maine attended opening night and met me and my family, and I let her know that I had wanted to go and sit in Congress, but that I hadn't been able to get it together to contact my congressperson. And so she was like, well, do you all want to come tomorrow? So we, on the day after opening, we all got up early and uh, and went there. But it was a real thrill because you go with somebody who works there and you go in the back way and the tunnels and the... And she took us out onto that balcony where you see where the inaugurations happen and that amazing view of the mall. And my parents are real political, you know, they love reading the news and all that. So they were like, that's Nancy Pelosi. That's Elijah Cummings. Maxine Waters. They were like freaking out about all these people that they read about on the news, you know, in the news. So that, that was a really unexpected bonus of being here and being part of this production. Falling in line with these women who are inspirational or people that we've looked up to that are currently in, in government, in Congress. What do you think the words that Ann Richards spoke while she was alive, what do you think the impact that will be on our own audiences? First of all, the audiences love it. But personally, I know of two women, young women. One uh, who is my son's girlfriend was here, and she's been wanting to take her LSATs for a long time. And the play really moved her, and as a result, she's going to take her LSATs, and I wouldn't be surprised if she went to law school. Um, she's a very intelligent, articulate woman about how she feels in politics, but this play took her over the edge. And then one of your own, Maddie, came up to me afterwards and said how wonderful the play was, but that what really touched her was the idea of taking a chance and betting on yourself. Mm -hmm. And it was very moving to her because she said, you know, I just don't do that enough. And that's two people 
Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I, I think exponentially that um, hearts and minds are going to be changed and opened to their potential and possibilities and also perhaps renewed hope and participation in the government, in their lives, um, making changes where they can. That's what we wanted to do it for in so many ways. And to invigorate and inspire women and young women to think of themselves as game changers, think of their voices as important. I always call it, um, everybody has to yop. And I take that from the book, Horton Hears a Who. And I said, everyone has to find their yop. And that way, slowly but surely, we will change things. You asked a question earlier about um, sort of like political icons or something of that mm-hmm. informed Anne or that we yeah. see today. And I remember asking Holland Taylor, like, who are the people in office today that you think hold some of Anne's character, mm-hmm. personality? And she said Kamala Harris, Stacey Abrams, Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar for different reasons. But she's like, you take all those four, you put them all together and they all they have they have, you know, a lot of Anne. And uh, and I think there are so many Anns out there. Yesterday, this incredible representative, I don't even know where she was from, spoke about the minimum wage bill and, and shared the story of her family emigrating from Korea. And, you know, it was incredibly moving. And I was like, that's a modern day Anne. Doing her thing, getting involved, making a change. I think what Anne can, what this production can do, and the life and legacy of Anne is she, I feel like she was very balanced. You know, she started out, well. <laughs> Jane's Anne is very balanced. <laughs> she got she's there. She's balancing. Yeah. I think she's, she's the balancer. Yeah. And you. Yeah, very well put. Right. She's the balancer, and you get to see. A real woman. Yeah. You know, somebody who has to let it out and let people know what she thinks. That is her job. She was definitely an A. She definitely, um, if if you were in front of her and you told her something, she would be having your ear and telling you how you should run. Mm-hmm. You know, don't think twice. You get out there and do it. Um, but I think she worked at balancing, and I think later in her life, was when she said, you know, when she was asked, you know, what do you think you learned, you know, and she said, I think I learned how to say no, you Mm. know, how to corral my own desire to please, A, and also I wanted to get so much done. Mm -hmm. And then later on in life, she would pick the road she would go down. And it was going to be the road where she thought it was going to make a difference, and that there was enough pull and energy to get her done. Otherwise, she would leave all the planning bits and all the enthusiasm to others. And I think that became kind of a, a, she became kind of wise, a wiser woman as her life went on. And, um, And I think nowadays, that whole idea is taking, is anchoring sooner in young people's lives mm-hmm. and uh, men and women, young men and young women. But that was something that was very much um, something she learned as she went along. Yeah, and those who identify you know, differently gender-wise, I think everybody is, is thinking about all of those things mm-hmm. that you just said and, and feeling that and, 
and her balance of hitting the gas and letting things happen and seeing where things could go and just the joy and the fun that she would get out of laughter, laughter and pleasure, you know, making people laugh, making laughing people because laugh. other people made her laugh. I mean, that was a huge part of, of who she was. One of my favorite things about Anne is uh, that she's just so relatable to so many different people. It's not just people who are interested in politics, although that's definitely one of the most important uh, points, but um, she's she gives you that sense of fire and the sense of power to be able to do something with your life and to, that you have decision, like the ability to make those decisions for yourself. It's just, it's refreshing to have that type of energy on stage and um, to be able to reflect. I know we were saying earlier, you're excited about your apartment because you had the pool and you can kind of sit there and 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 think about Anne and and reflect on on who she is and how the play is, is impacting everybody mm-hmm. and what the play is about and just to be able to have those moments of of reflection is so important and for me at least seeing the production felt like a moment to reflect oh. on my life and to, to really um to really uh become more introspective and and look at what what's next (laughs) well that infuses the whole production i think for you know i think it infused holland holland's inspiration for writing it and our inspiration for doing it because one of our questions is what is one thing someone could do on a daily basis to become more like Anne? we've said you Mm. know know when to say no Mm. take some time to reflect Mm -hmm. on your life and what comes next Balance. What are some other, yeah, balance. <laughs> what might be some other, th- like, takeaways we can pull from this production and from Anne's life that we could do on a very small daily basis? <laughs> well, Believe in yourself, yeah. you know. Tell, tell, tell ourselves constantly that we can do it, you know. Um, that success is inevitable. That we can do the thing that we don't think we can. And to... Uh, to, to practice naming things that don't feel right to your own self. If you're somewhere and something happens and it doesn't feel right to you, something it doesn't feel good, um, something happens inside you and you don't feel good about it, practice figuring out how to speak up in those moments. I think that is or soon huge, after. Mm-hmm. Or soon after, you know, not letting it go, figuring out how to do it. She did it in her own way. Everyone needs to figure out what their own way is. And she had the tremendous responsibility of deciding whether, and she didn't really even have that power, but her name had to be on the line that said, yes, someone was going to die. Mm-hmm. And um, Joe, costume, our yes. costume department head, he said, you know, after he saw a preview, he said, you know, I was at the light today, and I all of a sudden thought, oh, my goodness, what would I do? Mm-hmm. If I was presented and I had the responsibility, mm. what would I say? What would I do? And I think what's so wonderful about that is I do believe that if we vision that we actually are the president of the United States or we are in charge of decisions like that and we are deciders even in our own life and we actually make how important those decisions are, it can do two things. It can be become your compass of who you decide you want to be. And also, I think it can develop a sense of compassion as well for 
these huge decisions and all the small ones that come along and go with it. Um, you know, you watch her make a decision in this play, and you know it's not going to be two decisions, ones that conceal weapon veto, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. she credits with one other thing to probably the thing that was allowed them to defeat her in her second term when she went for her second term, her yeah. re-election term. And also um, the stay. Yeah. You know, no one remembers a governor ever giving one. Mm -hmm. So it must have been a long time ago. So, you know, she was a maverick. But, I, but to the point of these decisions and these uncomfortable, we call them uncomfortable conversations, mm -hmm. where you speak up for yourself. That's how you start. And I see that's happening more and more, and mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. so do we. Mm -hmm. And um, she had to learn how to do that with high stakes. So practice while the stakes are a little lower. Mm -hmm. um, but it definitely is a, a message from this this play that you have to go with what your gut is saying. And, yeah. and I also think one other thing, which is that sometimes those decisions will create an outcome that you hadn't planned or that doesn't look so great to start with, right? But just hold on, because another door is going to open and another opportunity will open. And the people that resonate with that decision will show up. So you just have to be patient and you have to have compassion for yourself and be patient as reality readjusts itself and then meet you where you are. To take Anne's spirit and infuse it through Jane's essence. And I think the play already has these beautiful Gorgeous. gifts that it gives. Those are the lines that Holland wrote. You know, she was were channeling this she she says and i just read it today in another article writing this play wasn't a choice it was something she had to do had to do it I remember her telling us at the beginning she sort of it came to her she had to pull the car over she was on the 405 which is not easy to pull no. off from in yeah, california and just something happened yes. i know <laughs> cosmic two by four and she pulled over and thought i have to write a play. one woman play about wow. ann richards and that started like a six-year journey, seven-year journey, you know, that's gone on and on and on. So it was something that really has been infusing this play with, you know, being, trying to work towards the, what are these little things we can do all day that lead to these big things? Holland, you know, you, me, Holland, all of us, to me, it's like do the work on ourselves so that we're open, you know, to those things happening. Find the consciousness for ourselves to be able to, step in other people's shoes, to think about what it would be like to make that decision, to practice speaking out. I was so impressed with our assistant lighting designer, Venus. You know, we call, we thanked everybody on stage, and I forgot to thank her. And I think generations past, people would have let that go, but we came out into the lobby, and in this really loving, nurturing, funny way, she was like, Chris, and I got to have a moment with you. And I was like, oh, I forgot <laughs> Venus! <laughs> And I thought, and, and then I had a choice to get defensive or to sort of learn from the moment. And I was like, I'm taking you with me. We're like going out. And I thought, this is, this is the change. 
because I've taken the time to become conscious about how I want to react in those situations. That's been influenced by spending time with people like Jane or just the work I'm choosing to do on myself. And then, you know, it's influenced by Venus of growing up in this society of this time where I think our the younger generations are learning more about how to do that. And then our task is really to deal with our, uh, for me anyway, that inclination to get defensive. If that moment happens, that's my little thing every day. If I can turn that moment around to a thank you, I need to think about that. Yes, you're so bright. I'm going to think about that. That makes all the difference in how the energy in the room shifts and it opens doors. When you care enough about yourself and you start from that place where, and and Anne actually at the end of her life, right before she died, I just read this in Cecile's new book called Troublemakers, or Making Trouble. Great book, by the way, girls. <laughs> she uh, said that her mother went to India, mm-hmm. and she knew that she was ill, but she didn't want to go to the doctors because she really wanted to go to India. And she came back and she told Cecile, that is, one, that is the most spiritual place in the world. I have never seen such a group of people whose every, you know, every thought and gesture has some kind of sacredness to it. And she said, and I I learned about my chi. She said, I have to protect my chi. (laughs) So she would not do things to protect her chi, her energy, that self Love, And she said something else. If you don't take care of yourself, we had this quote, mm-hmm. you are being irresponsible. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. say the responsible is the ability to respond. That's what responsible means, the ability to respond. And if you sort of see it that way, you see it almost like this little gauntlet for yourself. Am I able to respond? Well, you can say, you know what, I'm not. Well, what would be the thing that I could do that would help me with that. And And people are not mind readers. No. Or heart readers. So most people are, it's completely not on purpose that they forget to thank you or don't acknowledge the work or don't respond in a way that you need because it's our responsibility to communicate what we need, what we want, what our boundaries are, what, what sets us up to do our best work. And that's part of that daily practice. And I know for myself, learning to do that has led to a deeper self-love and has felt you know petrifying in the moment sometimes and then realizing yeah. oh it's completely fine and, and it's fabulous and then they know and then it makes moving forward so much better the Instead best of just things sitting come there out of it starting to feel resentful that you're not getting what you need but how does anyone know what you need if you don't actually communicate it so figuring out how to communicate it how to communicate it authentically with and one compassion of the things- and Love is is key. One of the things I love about sort of the work ethic here is assume good intent. Mm -hmm. And the other half of that for me has become, and we talked about this too, um, take responsibility for the impact. Because if we just assume positive intention, that means we aren't really taking responsibility for the impact of our intentions, which Mm -hmm. can be can cause stress, yeah. can cause anxiety. So we have to take responsibility for the impact of our positive intentions. Or unintended. Intention. The unintended impact. Yes. Or our policy. Yes. Yeah, thanks for clarifying <laughs> that. Exactly. Yeah, very true. Yeah. I think it's 
it's all about communication and figuring out how to communicate in 2019. And I, it's, it's <laughs> in funny. general, I, yeah, <laughs> I've, been, I've been having these thoughts recently because we've had a lot of plays uh, over the last like a couple of seasons that, you know, as plays typically are, they're set in time periods that still have, you know, telephones, landline telephones. Cords. Glorious cords. Yeah. Cords. With Anne, like, you don't have a computer at the desk. It's yeah. just... You or know, a cell a phone. Right. There's none of that. and, and I have like, Nancy. Yeah. <laughs> on an intercom. Computer. You know? Yeah. It's crazy. It's like the way my grandfather used to do business. You know, like, yeah. he had... He had a binder with his calendar on it every day, and he would pick up a phone and dictate things. And And then we had a play last season, Junk, that was a little bit more modern, but still in the 80s. Yeah. And I was thinking about, well, what when's going to be the point that we have, like, a computer on stage? Like, when are those stories going to be told? But it got me thinking about the way that we communicate, you know? Yeah, it, we're in a time where you get a Facebook message or mm-hmm. a tweet or a you know, text or all that stuff. But this is something so valuable to reflect on and, and think about because when I, like, pull back the, you know, the the scope to further away and I'm looking at this, what you're just talking about, and I look at it from, you know, like space, I think about, you know, who is in, who is controlling the invention of these computers? Who is controlling the invention of all of these ways that we communicate? And there's... All the data shows, you know, all the stuff that's happening is still the majority is males and predominantly white males. And so a lot of how other parts of the community might want to communicate is not being considered. That perspective isn't going in to the invention of all of these things. And I often think, you know, why don't we have emotional intelligence 101 in high school? You know, we learn all this other stuff. But this basic, we assume that we learn this in families, but everybody's life growing up is so different. And so what this, what you're talking about, and as storytellers, you know, our mode of operandi is is communication. And as human beings, we learn lessons about that throughout our whole life. And this this play is about that. All of the, in the theater, the pressure cooker of putting on a show tests all that stuff and Jane has been an exemplary example to our whole team leading us with you know a one woman show the pressure on Jane is immense and yet none of that ever filtered through down to us if there was any tension you would immediately go to a joke or something funny or a question or you would preface things by well what I need right now is (laughs) you know and you just like really gave an example about empathetic, compassionate communication that shares what you need and what you want, but with really clear boundaries in a really warm way. And if we could all do that, and you've worked really hard. I really have. To get to that. And And it's a constant. It's a constant. And I grew up answering the phone, you know, at Kinsum Residence. Mm -hmm. And I grew up under knowing my phone numbers of all Mm -hmm. my friends, of all my friends, of my parents. I grew up driving my car and figuring out where I was going to go on a map. I didn't have, you know, so Mm -hmm. the, but I love what you said about this because I never really thought about it that way, Kristen, that the people who are creating the communication systems aren't necessarily, we don't know that 100%, but I do 
We I do think, actually know uh, that. Well, 100%. I think that there are always, yeah. as in always, hidden women. Yes. Oh, right. Yes. But but I, but yes. I don't know that their very voice true. is heard in the way that you're talking about. Mm. And I think it would be a very interesting thesis to see how. Uh, well, I think, you know, the emoticons and the pictures and the things mm. that's kind of more to me female in some way yeah. could be wrong about that. Mm-hmm. But I do think that what being sending a sentence or sending a text you can't read emotion you don't really know what it's saying it's could it be in fact disconnecting us Mm -hmm. not just from each other but Mm -hmm. from ourselves Mm -hmm. do you know and and Mm -hmm. and accountability and that sort of thing so i think it would be very interesting to do a thesis on that topic can I can I read that wonderful quote yes. that I'm that I love so much From that you the, that I said on this? Uh, oh, to, that I said that you said. Oh, the <laughs> face just changed immediately. <laughs> yeah, and I, I said it from the stage of like, um, I got a oh here. So this is something you just woke up one morning. You were like from the play. I thought this. Yeah, from the play. What happens when a woman truly realizes how vital, how deep, how important, how smart and intuitive her thoughts really are? And I would expand that to say her thoughts and feelings. And what happens when the, the world would realize that about a woman? And when all those, when that would be as equally valued as logic and reason or all the things that we might value about a what might be considered the more masculine side of us? Because we all have the masculine, feminine and beyond, and beyond whatever. you know, inside of us. And it's about valuing them equally and being like, oh, that part of that sensitive part of me or that emotional part of me is just as valuable as the logic or the reason. And they both have to find that balance together. And Anne said as much. She said, listen, it's not mm-hmm. just it's not because we're better. That's right. Not at all. It's because we have a different experience of life, what's important to us, what we feel. And if you don't have that perspective at the table, then how are you going to have a complete picture? It's like that wonderful book, uh, Women Hold Up Half the Sky. And my wish, my wish is that, you know, in not so long from now, we're just not having this conversation. And I'm excited, however. I really am, and I think I'm very, very excited to see how these thoughts begin to really resonate and jumble and create a chaos that out of which comes a whole new um, paradigm and beautiful geometric pattern of who we really are. Every night before I go on stage, I inculcate this energy, let's just call it that, to gift this show and everyone's response, the laughter, the thoughtfulness, the power, the hope, the emotion that is being, you know, we're all joining in this and let it funnel out of the building, into the building, into arena, into Washington, into the country, into the world, so that we can be the wonderful human beings that we were meant to be. And this play has that power for me. And and this conversation is has that power to me. Because you can never underestimate what one person says. It can change one life, and that life changes 
millions of lives. Yeah, and I think Jane and I, I feel like we're the same in that, you know, connection, meaningful connections, authentic conversation and heart connections with people is sort of our like raison d'etre on this earth. Yeah, I mean, I really couldn't have imagined anybody taking me, uh, holding my hand through this journey than you. Mm. I mean, I've had a lot of directors and they're really wonderful. But the thing that Kristen does um, is she makes me feel good about my choices. She gets excited. She tells me what good. <laughs> and then I will get suggestions. And she knows that if I'm just not, I'm full, she says, you, you don't read from from here on if you're not ready. And I get to say yes or no. And that is so respectful and so uh, res- appreciative of what I bring to the table. It's that open heart surgery thing. You know, I want to live in a world where there is more conversation like this where people are sending an email and then they're knocking on the office and going well why don't we just can we talk about that a little more it felt a little funny or can we just unpack that more or or people want to talk about I want to talk about that stuff all the time you know but a lot of the world doesn't want to do that but I do our audience leaves and we hope that someone goes and runs for office or decides to take the LSATs or um, begins to have conversations with people that they love and say, we can't just sit here and create what I call islands of sanity. Um, Before I came here, I was in Barbados for my girlfriend's 50th birthday, and we all went over there. And they wanted me, I needed to run my lines, and they said, well, why don't you just do it for us? So I started to do it in this little coffee um, bar that is also where you get wine and everything and it's air conditioned. And I just started to, from the top of my, thank you, thank you so much. And I would do it and they would laugh. And behind the bar was this woman, a Barbadian woman who was had been serving us. And she was... You could. She was cleaning, but you know, you could sort of see every once in a while she was listening, and then she wasn't sure she should be listening, <laughs> and then finally she was just transfixed. And then when I stopped and we just started talking, she said, "Excuse me, this isn't you. This wasn't you. This is somebody else that you're talking about." I said, "Yeah." She said, "Oh, I thought it was you." I said, "No, it's a play about this wonderful woman." Ann Richards, who was the governor of Texas, she said she was a maverick. She was amazing. <laughs> you, that was amazing. Uh, and I'm going to go look her up because I love the theater, but I've got to find out about this woman. Wow. And I just yeah. got all teary. I yeah. said, I just got my best review ever. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right? And that was priceless. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's part of that beautiful thing you just said about what you, before the show when what you wish for it is that the energy that gets generated in the theater spills out in the, into the and, world. And, and Anne would have wished the same. same thing. Holland wants the same thing from this play. And there's got to be something to that, right? There's got to be something about that invisible, those vibrations. What else can we do? we got to send those out in the world. Otherwise, we're just going to huddle in a corner and, mm-hmm. you know, be mortified at what's happening. I think Anne would have loved the cup you gave me today. Yeah, love is the resistance. <laughs> and a little bit of sass and a dirty joke. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yep. Love yeah. is the resistance. Love is it. And be clear about what you love. I love in the play. She says, you know, it's why I developed such a taste for dirty jokes. I can't resist him. I have to admit. <laughs> you know, just being real like that. Mm-hmm. I think that's the other gift of the play uh, and this experience with you, Kristen, is that, you know, when you can find a place where you can be real 
Um, it's so mm-hmm. breath of fresh air. Totally agree. And we have felt that at Arena, too. Yeah. That culture really does seem to pervade here, that, that, that being authentic and being yourself is valued. You know, all men are created equal, but that what that meant was white men, you know, and to to be sort of to be living in a time where that is really where history is doing its thing. No matter what anybody does, you know, these these rooms are going to look incredibly different, uh, which I am. They already are. But it's it's still such a long way to go. And so, but, but that's, you know, more, 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 more. We need all those perspectives at the table to understand what every community needs. You know, gender, sexuality, ability, race, class. All those voices have to be part of it because it's, uh, so much of it is unconscious. That's why Anne wanted to do what she did. The necessary perspectives. And she said, you know, I get very upset with people who say, just dream it. She said, how are you going to dream it if you don't see it? That's right. How are you going to dream that you can be somewhere? It's a lot harder to dream it. She said, I don't want people dreaming. I want people seeing. Little girls, when they see my picture, they'll think I can do that too. She was very much... Uh, I love that that we chose to start the show with too. that quote. It came from a book that was lent to us by one of Anne's uh, employees who lives in our area in the Berkshires, Don Temples. He was Mary Beth's chief of staff. And he gave us this book, this little book that young people would get when they would come when Anne was governor. Just this little sort of kid's book. But it had this quote about little girls, and I thought, we're going to start the show with that. And I know it's going to be a good show here when people applaud after that opening mm-hmm. voiceover. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's true. You know, you have to see it to believe it. Which circles us back to your question of, like, what's one little thing we can all do to be more like Anne? And I think it's learn something every day that you didn't know mm-hmm. before. Curious. Be curious about things that are outside of your norm. And I see a lot of older women out there that are closer to, you know, her, her age. And when I start talking about what I, you know, Anne's desire or feeling that she had to be perfect. And I don't think that that's completely out of our culture at all. And um, but I see women out there nodding, you know, I, mm-hmm. nodding and looking and and also nodding when she said, I just never even thought that I could be this person, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I hope that invigorates older, the mm-hmm. older generation to think, you know what, I'm not done. That's right. I actually think that uh, our our culture does a lot to um, dumb us down, but also to disenfranchise the elderly. Mm-hmm. Just when you're getting it right, just when you have yes. this boatload of experiences that you can pass on, you don't exist. That's just terrible. It's just terrible. But I just think that... Um, Elders in other cultures are revered for just those things. But what a better way to stop growth than take the portion of the population that has the most wisdom and put them way over here where you can't see them. It's been so fulfilling to me to be here rehearsing this play while the company that I run in Massachusetts, Wham Theater, is creating a devised piece of theater with teens, 13 to 18, and elders, women over 65, around dreams and the title is that's my, that's that they've come up with is called Fractured Dreams. So to be here 
doing this play about this woman with Jane in the lead, you know, three generations, you know, me, Jane Holland, seeing that, you know, the women behind Anne, the like deep honor I feel about that, knowing that those are connecting together and sharing the wisdom from, you know, the younger to older and older to younger. I can't wait to see what they've come up with. Well, that's that's what I was thinking about. Yeah. Just a project like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's phenomenal. The other thing that I sort of took from the production was like, Anne was in her 40s when she... 50s. Well, 40s when she got involved in right. politics. Right. Almost 60 when she... quote unquote made something of herself, right. you know? Right. And <laughs> I'm 34, so I am by no means like past my prime in any way but uh, for my generation I grew up with kids that built Facebook and YouTube and all of these things and like if you don't do something by the time you're 22 like you're never gonna do anything and so watching this and saying oh right like I'm only 34 years old I still have so much more time to do other things and like I don't have to do it right now you don't and and you don't have to create a Facebook. You right. can make you can make <laughs> an incredible in difference. Fact, don't in, right. you're already making an incredible difference doing what you're doing. Yeah. And the more you listen to, more everyone listens to how they want to make a difference and feels solid and comfortable in that. I had to spend a long time trying everybody to define success yeah. for myself. And, and everybody has a different road yeah. to yes. go down. It is the greatest gift of my life to be an actress. I take it very seriously. I feel it is a very, very sacred profession. And words, as the wonderful Mr. Rogers said, have meaning. And that space between the audience and you, and we we consider that a sacred space. What is yours? And I guess that's, that's right. again where that compassion comes from. You know, there's something amazing to me about seeing innovations from younger people that can just sidestep a middle person and then just go, mm-hmm. you know, because your voices actually, the younger generation's voices, can be heard more cl- clearly and sort of more resonantly. The flip side of that, you may feel, well, I don't have a voice yet. So I actually have a lot of compassion for that feeling because things move so lightning fast. And um, I think, you know, that's why there's sort of like a pullback. You know, more kids are staying at home longer. And I think, okay, stay at home longer, but then parents need to say, you're okay. You don't have to decide. You don't have to make it now. You, You have to be following those delicious creative and learning and and you have to learn how to live and have relationships Mm -hmm. you know I don't know that those 21 year olds were you know creating things were actually knew how to have a relationship I would much rather know how to have a relationship and talk to people because eventually that's what makes the world go round Facebook is great but that's you know that'll be changed by something else I advocate for learning about yourself and being and, you know, and Anne said this too. She said, go and learn something every day. Success is honestly predicated on that you're interesting, that you've been to the theater, that you've read a good book, that you've studied a painting, that you've listened to a song and you know how you feel about it. That's going to get you a job, not necessarily all the degrees after your name or the school that you went to. It's going to be that you are an interesting person. 
she was very hot on that. 